Mini-episode 1333 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late-night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello everyone, welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode 1333. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here, and uh, we have with us a uh, longtime good friend, FDH Lounge dignitary Ben Chu, longtime uh, FDH NBA analyst, but I think we'll probably have to add to that our chief streaming analyst, uh, Ben Chu, because we're uh, reprising one in a series of conversations we've had with him about the streaming biz, that very, very, very fascinating subsect of the overall entertainment biz that uh, is going to be, of course, one of the big, big stories of the 2020s entertainment-wise, as all of these major conglomerates in entertainment are making huge moves there. The latest, of course, this week, our main story that we're talking about here today is the rise of Paramount Plus, debuting on March 4th. We'll talk about some other headlines from the world of streaming as well after we've gotten through that a decent degree, but uh, there's a lot of different interesting uh, ins and outs about uh, this new launch, what they bring to the marketplace versus what some of the other big streamers uh, coming out in the last year have done in terms of uh, HBO+, Plus, in terms of Peacock, in terms of uh, Disney+, Plus. if you want to go back a little bit over a year from right now. Uh, it is a time of great transition in the marketplace. And, uh, of course, Paramount+, Plus is the rebranded and uh, somewhat supersized version of CBS All Access, which has been around for a few years now, and uh, it didn't quite reach the market penetration they were looking for. So with the Viacom merger with CBS, I believe in 2019, such a deal was made possible. And uh, a little bit of uh, going back to the future, because if anybody remembers in the early days of this old 21st century, I believe a lot of these entities were under the same uh, uh, umbrella at that point in time. Then there was a divestiture. Now they're back together, and here we are. They're all available in one streaming service. Should you choose to go out there and get it, the early word is in, and Ben Chu and I have it for you on how this stands right now. Ben, great to have you back on, my man. How you doing today? I'm doing good, my man. As, as per usual, the residual checks are still in the mail. So. <laughs> they are they indeed. Me back again, so you know they woke me up from my slumber. But I mean, overall, I mean, if we wanted, to, I've wanted to note this for a while now. Uh, CBS All Access, with what we've seen now with the rise of HBO Max and Peacock from NBC, they they were essentially the first streaming service from a major network. And it's th- this sort of is an interesting little mix of a lot of different content. If you include like the fa- from all these subsidiaries, including Nickelodeon and MTV and uh, Smithsonian Channel, so there's a lot of interesting things, Rick, in terms of what they have in the general sense. Yeah, but is there any one specific that you would like to touch on to start? Well, uh, I, I think I would just like to ask in general, based on what you said there, and of course. You go back several years, uh, and it shows you the evolution of the marketplace. Hulu initially started as a conglomerate. Of course, Disney owned a piece of it. NBC had a piece of it at the time. There were a couple of different entities. uh, Fox did as well. And it's become exclusively Disney in the last couple of years. But yes, as far as networks go, CBS All Access. Here's what I want to start with since we were talking about that and, and these other streaming services here. I know you and I have a decent degree of skepticism in terms of everybody out there truly knowing and understanding everything that comes with this, notwithstanding the ad campaign that's been put out there. I mean, HBO Max had a pretty sophisticated ad campaign before they launched, and I can tell you, as somebody who has subscribed to it, it is an awesome service, and yet it hasn't done as well as the powers that be at Warner Media hoped that it would, because quite frankly, just not enough people out there understand everything that comes with it. Also, the price point of 15 bucks a month might be a little bit intimidating, so there's that. But CBS All Access 
uh, now morphing into Paramount Plus, I think they may run into somewhat kind of, of, of the same deal of people just saying, okay, well, what all's on it? And I think that that whole educating the public thing, if HBO hasn't been able to do it yet with HBO Max, with everything else that comes besides HBO, uh, that to me looks like a, a daunting sort of challenge right off the bat for Paramount Plus to continue to educate enough people as to all of the stuff that's on there and why they might want to subscribe to it. Right, and, uh, and initially uh, how a lot of people viewed CBS All Access, it almost felt like it was a companion service. Right. Like they had their their, their originals, obviously the two most notable ones would be Star Trek Discovery and then The Good Fight starring Christine Baranski. But it, it seems like right now that they're trying to, um, it's, it reminds me very much a lot of Hulu and uh, Peacock right now that they have a lot of their first run important series that a lot of people are going to want to watch. One of, one of the uh, big tie-ins for this obviously is going to be that they're, they're a partnership with Nickelodeon. Obviously, this is one of the big reasons why that one of the big things to hype up this launch was the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. And their back catalog for kids entertainment is really big because Nickelodeon's back catalog is really big. Obviously, stuff like uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, The Legend of Korra. You can also include a lot of the old, the old 1990s things that all the millennials will love to death, including all that, Keenan and Kel, Are You Afraid of the Dark? So they have a they have a very robust thing, robust kids library if you need it if you are a parent because we all know Disney Plus that was the main reason why it grew so fast because parents really needed content during the pandemic and Disney Plus was the kid friendliest of all the narratives out there and it's going to be really interesting with CBS All Access in terms of what they're really going to be trying to do. The three or four biggest sort of things that I see coming up on there is obviously, as you know, I know you're a huge fan. The Yellowstone spinoffs are coming up right, really soon. Uh, the reboot of Frasier is due out, I think, in 2022, if I'm correct. That's going to be huge. So that's gonna be yeah. Another, that's going to be another big one. Uh, for the Nickelodeon fans, the iCarly reboot is coming out soon. Okay. And I believe end of the year. So that's going to be another big one for them. And then there's a, there's a smattering of other series that were probably on the CVS All Access list that, you know, or would be the carryover effect. So I think overall, Rick, I think, at least from what I've read from a lot of the reviews, I think Paramount Plus is a great service. And if the price point, if you go in at it with advertisements, it's only $7. I don't think that's a huge ask. Right. Especially if you're a huge Nickelodeon fan or any sort of, if you like CVS and you like the entity of CVS. And the one, there are two things I should note about CBS All Access that is important. Excuse me, uh, Paramount Plus. I'm even already confusing the service. But <laughs> you obviously get your CBS content as well. You like CBS, uh, the uh, the Sports Network, CBS HQ, the 24 hour streaming one. You also right. get the 24 hour CBS News Channel as well. And then also based on your tier, which I believe will phase out in July, you'll get your local CBS affiliate. So for someone who is obsessed with CBS and doesn't want to pay the cable prices, right. This will be your option to use it. And just in the totality, another thing we also have to mention is that Paramount, in lieu of the HBO Max narrative for Warner Brothers, they have their some of their original movies that are coming out, including A Quiet Place 2 and Mission Impossible 7, will be available on the service 45 days after the theatrical release. Yes. So that's going to be very interesting to see, but... At least for now, the argument I would make with the service is that it's a great companion service, but it will not replace your elite level of services. I think that's an excellent summation for it. Uh, a couple things you talked about there, as far as Frasier goes, that's going to be a monster when that one comes out, because uh, okay. obviously uh, yeah, you, you can't reassemble the entire cast. Uh, as I believe it was John Maloney that played the father. He unfortunately is deceased, but uh, whatever they can put back together... That's going to be awesome nostalgia right there. The Yellowstone spinoffs, the one that was already uh, named publicly specifically is uh, the prequel Y1883, and that is going to be obviously when the uh, land first came into the Dutton family. Worth noting, here's a clip and save, a prediction from my dad, uh, who I started watching Yellowstone with him in the last year. I'd watched the uh, previous two seasons of it myself. Uh, my dad was like, watch, they'll get Kevin uh, Costner to end up playing his grandfather in that. So we'll see <laughs> if they end up enlisting yeah. him 
And uh, yeah, because Yellowstone has been the big hit for the Paramount Network. But this is a thing where there are some unique aspects to this service, as there are with any of these ones, not least of which the fact that uh, there is a little bit of a dual-track strategy being pursued at the corporate level here, wherein licensing to other streaming services is still going on. You take, for example, the aforementioned Yellowstone, the biggest hit on the Paramount Network, which is, of course, one of the big feeder channels into Paramount+. Plus. That's only available on Peacock right now because of a streaming deal that was set there. You still have deals out there with uh, Netflix and I think a couple of other entities where shows are having to be shared. So you do not have exclusivity for all things under the Paramount, Viacom, whatever the hell you want to call it, network. You don't have all of that on Paramount+. Plus. You've got some of this stuff being licensed out other places. Whether that continues indefinitely or not, who knows. But CBS, I think, has been a little bit overt in saying we may not bring everything back in-house here because we still make money other places. And there is the thought that uh, if you have some of these shows out there on the other places, and Netflix is way bigger than this and probably will be for many years to come at minimum, that uh, perhaps if, if somebody is watching something there, they might be interested in the reboot of the franchise on Paramount+. Plus. So they're going about it a little bit different of a way you know, Peacock's trying to hoard everything that they can, Hulu, etc. This is a dual-track strategy here between licensing to other platforms and putting it on their own platform. And uh, so it, it won't be as easy to track the, uh, the wins and losses, I think, based on this. Because if just building up your streaming number was all you were concerned about, you'd be looking to bring everything in-house as soon as possible. Right, and... I mean, there's also a, a couple of other notable names that are on that list of what is also not on Paramount. Obviously, the Big Bang Theory is on HBO Max right now. Right. And that would another big sort of get for Paramount+. Plus. And I think, and this is going to be the issue that we're always going to discuss with, with these sort of network, or not these sort of like entities of like, I would say the second tier of streaming, which is HBO Max, Peacock, and Paramount+, Plus at this current moment. Mm -hmm. Which is, it's a very low entry point to get in. But there's also the same point of, like, why would I waste more money on another streaming service? Right. Because the, the major discussion, and we've had this for a while now, is that they don't have... It's like, it feels like when CBS All Access came out, it was essentially a companion service, sure. essentially. If you wanted your CBS, if you were a Star Trek fan, or if you were, you know, a fan of, like, the reboot of The Twilight Zone, or Christine Baranski, you would have the series. You would have it. But for everyone else, there wasn't enough on there for it to be worthy. I would think if you're looking for that companion service, this could be it, especially if you have kids, because that Nickelodeon library is probably a lifesaver at this point. Sure. The pandemic, so that would be a big thing. And I mean, I think Paramount definitely has a long way to go, but they have they we've seen HBO Max start to take off a little bit in recent memory. Memory and Peacock is building up. And another thing we also have to know too, because we are sports people, we haven't even mentioned this. Obviously, the NFL is a big part of that uh, package with Paramount Plus as well. That you can watch some games via the Paramount Plus app instead of having to pay for your a cable subscription. So. Well, here's the thing, though, and, and what that is, and my understanding is it's not going to be any different than it was on CBS All Access. So this is one of these things where they're hyping it up. We have the NFL. What it is is you get to watch games in your own market on the, the streaming device here. So basically, you know, if you're away from your TV, for me, I'd be able to watch a Browns game, but nothing else. This whole thing of... You know, oh, you can watch CBS games on there. Yeah, what's only your local game that you're already getting on free TV anyways? And oh, by the way, Fox has been giving this away for free on the Fox Sports app the last couple of years. This is something they're charging for, and then they're going, you can only get this on our app. So I think it's kind of disingenuous as far as how they're presenting it. And they're going to have some real PO'd people in the fall if they signed up thinking they're going to be able to watch out-of-market CBS Sports uh, NFL games because that is not going to be a part of what is being offered here, because that would conflict with Sunday Ticket, uh, among other things here, because Sunday Ticket's got the exclusivity on things out of market. Something I want to ask you specifically here, uh, as you and I have talked probably more so 
off air than on air and uh, laughed and joked about uh, you doing the whole you know 90s kid gimmick and everything but I mean you look at the things that are on Paramount Plus and you'd refer to that with Nickelodeon but you have the MTV reality series I mean I've been doing some reading up on this and, and that seems to be an interesting angle is that uh, folks right about in your age bracket here it seems to be uh, designed to kind of tap into a strong nostalgic streak for guys like you. Is that something where you can really see this thing uh, gaining a lot, a lot of traction in that way? I think it can, especially with some of the initial price points. Because if you, I would like to say most people who have streaming will have like one main streaming service and then another in most cases. Sure. So I think there definitely is some nostalgia. And there's also some other shows that kind of are not on the forefront mm-hmm. that definitely do deserve to have mentioned that they will be on Paramount Plus over time. Obviously, the re- they did a reboot of the initial real world. And they're, and we also tend to forget with CBS reality shows like Big Brother, Love Island. So they're going to be on there as well. But some other stuff that might not necessarily like ring true to a lot of people, but will definitely pick up some viewership on there. Uh, I don't know, a big one that I just kind of saw off the top of my head was that they're going to carry future seasons of the TV Land series Younger. Which was which was very well hyped and well managed by TV Land during that time. And you know, I know this is a show that Rick Morris will never watch, but RuPaul's Draft Race All Stars is also part of the package. You got that right. So I think that's going to be an interesting thing. And there were some other some other CBS All Access shows that weren't necessarily on the radar of a lot of people, but will definitely be very interesting to see whether there's a, why women kill was one of them that is going, that isn't going to enter its second season. I'm intrigued to see if that's going to get a huge bump over time. But I think nostalgia is probably the big thing that Paramount is going to have on it. And it has a relatively decently sized movie library, but nothing incredible. Obviously the Godfather trilogy is going to be honest. That might be a big draw for some. Yep. But I'm not 100% sure really what, again, this is the question is, it feels like it's too late because everyone's kind of made their decisions on what they love and what they really need. But I still think there's enough because I think there's enough nostalgia and there's enough content out there. And obviously MTV is going, we, like you mentioned MTV, and I, I think I need to mention some of the stuff that will be on there. Obviously, you know, MTV Raps is going to be discussed. Mm-hmm. I know there was definitely going to be a re- a version of Behind the Music that was going to come back with them as well. At least it's planned to. Be okay. Brought. And some of the stuff that ended up being on on a Quibi is probably going to go back to their singled out. Would probably be another property that would Paramount would definitely would want to bring on to it. So it's gonna. I think there's there's definitely a lane for Paramount Plus, and especially with the amount of money that it's cost. Like, and I think that's. And we've discussed this already. I think that's the biggest issue for people in HBO Max is the price point at this point. Sure. I think it's a little bit more believable to give you someone $7. But again, I don't know if anyone is really dying for some of these series that are coming back, to be honest. I mean, it's the same argument we've had off air regarding The Office, what that would look like, how much of a fan base is really looking for the new stuff instead of the old stuff. But it's going to be interesting. And one point I did want to make is that it, I heard very positive things about the user interface on Paramount Plus, but one very head scratching decision at this point. Apparently, there's no watch list wow. on the app, so there doesn't appear to be a way for you to save shows you'd want to watch later. Oh, geez. That, that's tough. So, yeah, so that's probably going to get edited or changed up at some point, but I read multiple reviews that they said that seems to be a commonplace now that if you're watching a series on streaming that you'll be able to save it. Or if you're like scanning one day, you'll be able to save it. And I think obviously that'll get remedied, but that isn't the greatest look because you would think that'd be one of the easiest things to keep people on your app is to continuously keep people watching content. Right. That is, so, uh... I still think I would say Paramount plus has done a really solid job of just being out there. And it's going to be interesting because I think there are, original content is going to probably be their make or break because I don't know if any of the CBS series is going to be, you know, people are going to die over it. Obviously, you know, they'll have a reboot of criminal minds and Frazier, but at the end of the day, I don't know how big those series were to people in a long run sort of sense. Yeah. I mean, probably Frazier. $6 a month to get the Frazier reboot. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's hard to it's hard to kind of guess on that. I, I think Frazier probably has a chance of reeling people back in because you know that's I think everybody's all time favorite Kelsey Grammer project. So 
that uh, that one there could be. But yeah, that's it. The, the the user interface from everything you're saying uh, certainly needs to be improved if that's the case because the ability to go back in, pick up where you left off, have the shows set aside that you want to set aside. You know, but this is just the the one more thing to to kind of bring it full circle on this is an example of where, again, they may need to pick a lane on this at some point uh, on on how they're going to go in terms of how serious they're going to double down on this thing. For example, Comedy Central is one of the channels that's under this banner, and yet South Park is on HBO Max. So that's that's kind of a big one. Right, and of course, too, we all saw the earlier in the thing the issue that Dave Chappelle had with Comedy Central, and that essentially had that his catalog pulled to Netflix, and then eventually it's now back. Yes. So that's going to be one of those things that I think is interesting, and uh, we tend to forget to Comedy Central. There is, at least from what I heard, a bunch of stand-up specials and a bunch of original Comedy Central series that are on there. But if you're missing the big names, that's really going to be the question of if you're trying to sell this to a user bases you is i would think be a new content and for now there's not a lot i would say the argument is very similar to what peacock's offering is yeah. right now it's like there's a couple of new interesting series but there's nothing that i would die over like i, I think for all the peacock subscribers they love the reboot of saved by the bell and punky brewster but let's be honest i don't think anyone is dying for it right now i well, given that uh, both MTV and VH1 are under the uh, the banner of this as well, I'll, I'll conclude this part of our discussion before we talk some other streaming stuff with a list of suggestions. If you want Rick Morris to, suge- to uh, subscribe to Paramount+, Plus, uh, you need to revive any of the following franchises. 120 Minutes, Headbangers Ball, Flavor of Love, 8-Track Flashback. Uh, am I missing any? I think that's uh, those are... Those are the ones. What about Rock and Club? Yeah, there you go. There you go. Rock and Club back. That's one of the good ones. Yes. I mean, so if if we're such a weird dating timeline anyway, right? Exactly. It's definitely something that needs to be brought back. Exactly, and uh, let's let's see what uh, since uh, Paramount, uh, one of its previous incarnations, of course, was Spike. Let's see what Joe Schmo 3 would look like on there. We need to get that. I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff we get to, that we haven't even mentioned yet in terms of yeah. what that could be. And I mean, my thing is like, and, I, I, and again, it makes it, I, I always, I'm saying, uh, I can't speak today, but in terms of Paramount Plus, it sounds like I'm downplaying it, but I think overall it will be a really good, solid service. Right. But I just think, with all the other big names in this playing space, and if there isn't anything specific that you're drawn to on that platform, I'm not 100% sure it's a must-have. Right. But I think the, the big takeaway, and as we start to segue towards some looking at some of the headlines and some of these other streaming services, is that we've been talking about this for a while on the show, you and I, and that is that every one of these major entertainment companies networks, uh, studios, if you will, etc. I mean, this is the end game, is that all of them are going to need to have a service like this because we have moved at this point so much to an on-demand world at this point. And uh, again, live sporting events, uh, pro wrestling gets lumped under that because it's on at a certain point in time, usually airing live. The things that are only on live are getting to be rarer and rarer in this day and age. And I think, and, and you and I have talked about this, the pandemic just really, as, as it accelerated so many things in society, it accelerated to us becoming an on-demand society. Because again, when I was scratching my head as to why the Super Bowl ratings uh, would have been down like they were, you were the one that pointed out to me, well, look at how much bigger streaming became in the last year, even than it ever was before. And that, you know, the Super Bowl isn't competing with what's on live. The Super Bowl is now competing with everything that is out there completely on demand at all times, which is just almost infinite. So going to this, every one of these networks or studios, etc., they have to have a strategy as to what they're going to do moving ahead in this world here. And like we said, uh, Viacom, CBS, it's a little bit of a hybrid thing. They are getting pretty serious about Paramount+, Plus, but also licensing out some stuff to some other places like NBC, I think this was at their last upfronts. They were like, Peacock is our big thing. It is going to be the most important thing of what we do. And boy, the way they've conducted themselves over the last year, you really believe it. CBS kind of splitting their kind of focus here. 
it, it'll be interesting to see if that's viable or if they're going to have to move more into bringing back uh, some of their stuff in-house. And uh, I think only time's going to tell on that one, Ben. Right. And I, and I think, again, with so many streaming services, it's one thing that we've discussed off-airs is that when the streaming fatigue hit, Yes. For people like the old, not the old joke about the early 2000s satellite dishes, which is you have 300 channels, but nothing to watch. That's right. But, oh, it, it's going to be very interesting to see. But I think if, if you wanted to give a grade to Paramount Plus right now, I'd say a solid B minus. Sure. Solid B minus. You have some great content on there. And if you're a parent that needs to put their kid in front of a TV to watch SpongeBob, it is the service for you. Absolutely. And uh, again, as is uh, generally the case, uh, yeah, a story like this is the, the big one of this past week, obviously, in streaming. Anytime you get a big, I would say debut, but it's basically a refashioning, as we said, of CBS All Access, uh, a refashioning slash upgrade. But uh, there's always headlines going on in other places. And of course, one of the things uh, out there uh, being uh, Disney Plus, which has been such a, a big, big, big hit uh, here and of course you have the Marvel library, the Star Wars library, these things out there that are built in. Not to mention the Disney Films library, as you talked about earlier, which was important for bringing in the younguns and the parents of younguns. But uh, it, with, with having these different franchises there, uh, it gives you uh, different avenues for launching things. Uh, we've talked about previously Star Wars. I think there's going to be ten different offshoots of the Star Wars universe on Disney Plus. Uh, and, and they've had great success, of course, in launching the Mandalor Mandalorian. And uh, you look at uh, now WandaVision in the last couple of months here as far as taking an existing uh, library that they had and launching something new off of it with the WandaVision uh, Season 1 finale this week. That was a very, very uh, big thing happening in terms of pop culture. Right, and I think generally Disney Plus right now, I would make the argument, is the biggest threat to Netflix at this time. Yes. Line. Yes. They grew exponentially large during the pandemic, even to the point where they even Disney even reconfigured their programming department right. to fix things. And it was very interesting to see how WandaVision was going to be taken because of the pandemic. A lot of the first run sort of shows that was being planned by Marvel were essentially shelved because they couldn't really do anything. But WandaVision was just one of those shows that grew exponentially since its debut. I believe I read there was an analytics company that did a Search it was the number one streaming show in January of 2021. Yeah. And that's a pretty big order right there. And it got rave reviews, great actor, acting from Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany, who played Vision. It, and it, 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 played, it sort of played, it was sort of a weird show. I remember when it was going on the opera runs that no one knew what to think of it, to be right. honest. For those who never watched it, essentially, it's sort of a hybrid of old TV sitcoms and and the timeline of after the after Avengers Endgame. Mm -hmm. So it it mismatched a lot of different sitcom tropes and there was a lot of Marvel Easter eggs which their fans absolutely love and a lot of and it was highly praised for the writing and the tone because most of the Marvel series up to that point Rick, were very cut and dry. Stuff like Iron Fist, stuff like Jessica Jones sure. were, you know, relatively quick to, I mean, also, I would, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Daredevil, too. Right. If it, if they were pretty much just very cut and dry. And this was like the first time Marvel got to play around with some things. And people exponentially very positive reviews. And it's going to be intriguing to see if Marvel's going to carry them a little bit. And same thing with Star Wars, too, is that it's going to be interesting to see, because Disney Plus is Disney Plus. We're not going to make that argument, Rick. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. Right. But it's going to be interesting to see because most of Disney Plus, in my opinion, if you remove sort of Star Wars and Marvel, is mainly geared to 13 and under and a Disney fan. True. So most likely, I it, there there's meaning, going to need to be some older generational content that we're going to have to draw on subscribers. Obviously, The Muppet Show, five seasons just were released on there too. So I'm interested to see how that data is going to work with them in terms of just how they're going to have to deal with it. And there was a rumor that there was, it was discussed when with part of the bundle, when it came to the place in terms of Disney, Hulu and ESPN plus if Disney and Hulu were essentially just going to merge together at some point, I know there was this in overseas right now in India, Disney is combined with Hotstar to do a mixture of both 
Disney programming and other programming that right. would be in the same. So it's going to be very interesting to see because I think the weakness right now for Disney Plus is not necessarily the content on there. It's just if you only wanted to subscribe to Disney Plus, it doesn't have the back catalog of a Hulu or of a Netflix. And I would really like to see them try and play that sort of party line because I know they can't go past the PG-13 rating, Rick Morris. Right. But there are ways to get content that could be a little bit more interesting to people of the millennial generation or Generation X. True. And this is a thing where, again, and you, you'd have to work in some kind of parental control deal on there just like you have on uh, other platforms. But I've wondered that in my head, too, a potential merger at some point. Right now what they have is, of course, the bundle. I have a friend who subscribed briefly to the bundle of ESPN+, Plus, Disney+, Plus, and Hulu. But I've wondered about this because there's no other service uh, out there, or rather no network that has you know, a, a combination of services like Hulu and Disney+. Plus. And I understand they're serving different audiences, but to an extent, it's kind of redundant because, you know, for, for Disney+, Plus, you know, you have the kiddies, you have all the Star Wars geeks, you have, you know, the Marvel geeks, and that's about it, basically. And, uh, you know, Hulu is more diverse in what they have, and that's a thing where, Again, if you could do that, if you could put it together in a way, and I'm, I'm confident that they probably could, to, to where you know you, you could you could keep a lot of the mature content on Hulu Plus off limits for for the kids. I'm sure they could figure that out. Uh, but I mean, that would be a thing. It's hard. It's hard to imagine anybody having the depth of, of a Netflix, even as they keep getting stripped by all of these studios and networks starting up their own things here. But I mean. Would not a combined Hulu slash Disney Plus be one of the deepest entities out there? I personally believe so. And the only thing that I would even be concerned with is Hulu's back catalog of new content coming out. But they have so much great shows just are in the pipeline. I, I'm interested to see if Disney prefers to keep everything separated, to keep everyone happy. Or if at some point they feel like they're splitting off coverage. Because I think the question I ultimately have for Disney is that I think it's only a six ninety nine price point, Rick. And we know that's going to go up over time. Sure. But I think there are some of us that would gladly pay the HBO Max pricing to right. get the combo Disney Plus and Hulu. Right. Although, I mean, they their, their, their the argument right now would be you get the bundle if you're paying that. So they, they would say you're getting that plus ESPN plus. But I hear you. I mean, just for de for ease of access, having it all under one roof. And actually, again, you know, for that matter, I didn't even think about this, but what, what if you put the ESPN Plus stuff in there as well? I mean, you, you yeah. would truly be the most diverse and probably deep uh, entity out there if you put them all under one streaming service. Right. And I think it's definitely something that they will need to discuss in the long term. Mm -hmm. But I also understand why they don't want to do that because they don't want to have brand confusion or... You know, right. it's a lot easier to keep these entities separate. And I think Hulu is going to be a very interesting player in the near term because it is still one of the cheapest price points for streaming in this day and age. Right? Yep. $4.99 with ads. And they have a great back catalog. But one of my concerns with them is it's the same concern I have a lot of these services, even Netflix at this point, is that on their original content, it's still, in my opinion, very good, but it's very specialized. It is. And I start to wonder over time if they're going to start to lose out to some of these other streaming services. Because I know there are a bunch of people like the Hulu back catalog is infinitely just as good as anything out there. But there's not enough original content that would send someone, in my opinion, to that at the end of the day. Right. And and look, and I will admit that, and, and as a guy who is a completist of uh, 1122.63, The Path, mm -hmm. Shut Eye, Awesome shows. I there, recommended them. There's so them. many great shows, Rick. We, yes. We can, there's a, we're not even mentioning the elite stuff right now. Handmaid's Tale, Trill, yeah. 1015. Uh, there's just, and I mean, another underground, not an underground series, but a series that has, I haven't, that I think a lot of people aren't even talking about is the is the Blumhouse production of Into the Dark, that anthology series. Oh, yeah. I've watched so, a, a handful of those that, that, are, that are really pretty good. And it's a thing where, you know, but I take your point, though, that the shows that I mentioned that I watched, I mean, they, they feel a little more niche than some of the ones 
that you would find the big offerings on other streaming services. I mean, look, anything is going to feel niche compared to Mandalorian and uh, WandaVision, but still, yeah, I mean, Hulu, you're right about that. Is it like there's not enough people like me out there that's going to appreciate you know, that type of stuff, so they might need to get a little bit broader on what they're doing. But yeah, these are all things they're going to be contemplating, and that's where I do think Disney is going to be potentially the most interesting company to watch in this space in the next couple of years because of you know having the three separate distinct streaming services, what they're going to do with them, and uh, if they're going to continue to try to you know package a bundle or uh, go another route potentially on this. Uh, for, for Netflix, uh, the great granddaddy uh, in the space here, uh, I know you've been tracking this. It was a really interesting week of developments uh, for them as well. Right, and I mean, you, you, I think you start kind of with the Golden Globes first. Right. And then you kind of go down from there. I mean, obviously, they were huge winners at the Golden Globes. Yeah. I, I, I made this joke off air to a friend, Rick, and it really is the case. If you were in a Netflix show that either had to do with a crown or a queen, you won an award at some period of time. <laughs> right. The, the, I mean, obviously, with the Globes happening, big thing with the Globes was the crown taking four awards essentially including best drama best uh act, best actress in a drama for uh, Emma Corrin who played uh, Princess Diana in, in that series and also Gillian Anderson getting a nod for her portrayal of Margaret Thatcher uh-huh. and that they did a great job there and then obviously the show that pretty much if you were to eliminate WandaVision and Bridgerton from the world was the show that everyone was talking about the Queen's Gambit winning two big awards for Netflix there, obviously for best miniseries and also for Anya Taylor-Joy's portrayal of Beth Harmon. So it was, for Netflix, I think in terms of their, you know, the amount of, they unless I was mistaken, they held the, they, they held the highest nominations this year in the sort of weird pandemic COVID-19 thing. So they had a lot of, positivity i think with this week starting off with that but then they also received some negativity during this timeline one of their newer young adult shows Ginny and georgia was under fire a lot this week from relatively rick i'd say the weirdest story of the week i've heard in a long time in streaming so for those of you who did not watch the series or you know who were who watched the trailer that it's based on a uh, single mom girl uh, essentially with her 15 year old mixed race daughter moving to a new England town and just all the trials and tribulations that they dealt with to put it very bluntly, Rick, and I'll say it's because it's literally a line in the show. The comparison of this show, it's like the Gilmore girls, but with bigger boobs. (laughs) That's literally the whole entry point. So they dealt with a lot of YA discussions in terms of sexuality, in terms of dealing with, you know, a, a mom who might have done some unspeakable deeds during her lifetime, including maybe killing a couple of ex-husbands, but, you know, okay. that was one of the things. But And there was even an episode that used the term oppression Olympics, and that, that was rocketed <laughs> up a little bit. But despite all of that, that's not even the main uh, discussion point. In the finale episode, the character who plays her, uh, who plays her daughter, uh, Antonia Gentry, who was named Ginny on the show, uttered a line uh, as a joke in regards to in the finale to that her, that her mother, uh, portrayed by actress uh, Brianna Howery, Georgia, had dated more men than Taylor Swift. <laughs> and, or actually, no, actually, I got it. If I want to get this correct, the, the exact line is like, you've gone through more men than Taylor Swift. There we go. Okay. And... That clearly drew the ire of Taylor Swift fans, aka the Swifties out there. They had multi- They decided to do the negative reviews across the board, Rick, as you can understand. Sure. On all the platforms, Google, I mean, on Google reviews, Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb, just everything through that was a thing. Uh, hashtag uh, respect Taylor Swift was trending on Twitter and Instagram for this talent, and the actress who played uh, uh, Antonia Gentry was essentially trolled on, on Instagram and was forced to, uh, I believe if I'm correct, like temporarily disable her comments because of wow. just the amount of hatred that was being spewed in her direction. And ironically, the real part of the story I actually do want to talk about was Taylor Swift actually commented on the joke because obviously, you know, when 
your name is trending on Twitter, Rick. That was a big thing. So she called out Netflix for the lazy, for essentially the writers of the show for being lazy and sexist and to quote unquote Netflix, who she had previously worked with, with two different uh, sort of shows called essentially put together the greatest, I guess, female insult of this generation, which is this outfit, that outfit doesn't look cute on you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so Taylor Swift, I didn't think we'd be talking about Taylor Swift getting mad at Netflix after her two ship to a, collaborations with her uh, reputation tour followed up by uh, also her documentary miss americana was also on the platform yeah. what i find very interesting rick is that we can we you can obviously go into the nature of cancel culture and in terms of lazy joke writing and sexist joke writing just all these other things that we can discuss at this time but the thing i find the most interesting rick is that this is one of the first sort of instances where we've seen a major star or celebrity call out the streaming service regarding con- regarding a television show that was on their service they had previously worked with right so i wanted to ask you kind of what your thoughts would be about where do streaming services have to draw the line in the future well i don't dealing know with and what they and what some of their competing narratives of content on their own platform are going to have to deal with over time yeah i mean you raise interesting questions i hope uh, but this is naive of me. I hope that the lesson to be drawn from this is uh, that they will look at it and go, uh, any publicity is good publicity, because it surely did raise the profile of this show. And I'd like to think that that's the takeaway here, uh, as opposed to uh, you know cowering by the backlash of very tiresome uh, Swift fans and everything like that. And, and again, her whole thing getting on her high horse about it, I mean, look, if she wasn't writing songs about all of these guys and everything like that, this this whole thing of like, oh, because I'm a celebrity, you know, Derek Jeter, how many was he running through? But, you know, the tabloids only knew about two or three of them, and that was by design, right? I mean, ce- right. celebrities can it keep... It wasn't done until after the fact that we weren't from anything. Exactly, and there was a, there was a handful... All these things. I just find it very interesting, Rick, that we talk about the nature of slut-shaming and women-shaming and just all these sort of things. And we also talk about racism, especially, obviously, during the whole Bachelor uh, Chris Harrison fiasco in the last couple of years. So I just find it very interesting. And one point I did want to wonder is that, to my knowledge, at the point Taylor Swift's deal with Netflix, I'm unsure if that was still active or not, because one of the more underground things that was on the during the pandemic telling that none of us really got to even that wasn't really broadcast that much, but I did see it. Like she had a, uh, like an at home concert series for her, one of her newer albums folklore on Disney plus. So I'm wondering if Taylor would necessarily be more outspoken if maybe her Netflix deal hadn't expired or if there was something. Sure. I just find it interesting because over time now, I think we're going to run into these scenarios where celebrities are going to criticize streaming services and that will have obviously ramifications and all that. I just didn't think it would be coming from a show that was essentially built as Gilmore Girl, but Gilmore Girls, but with bigger boobs. But who who knows these days, Rick Morris? Well, at the end of the day? you know, and exactly, and uh, anything uh, with but bigger boobs in the description is, is certainly going to attract my attention and that of another uh, a bunch of other red blooded American males. So I'm. I'm very glad you uh, you flagged that for all of us, Ben Chu. Uh, that was uh, very good of you to do so. And uh, on, on one of the, I, I guess you'd call it maybe third-tier streaming services right yeah. now, you talk about something where, in terms of the corporate parent, in terms of who they are owned by, uh, the biggest underachiever by far in this space, you got to say, probably is Apple+. Plus. I mean, there are a few yeah. bigger companies anywhere in the world and, and yet their streaming service is not even an afterthought at this point. But Ted Lasso managing to do well at the Golden Globes, which was interesting to me because it's a thing where, uh, you know, I've from the commercials that I've seen, from the excerpts that I've seen, uh, it, it's a thing where, I, I don't know, it, it, just, it just seems like dude is playing the same character, Sudeikis, that he plays in every type of show. I don't get the sense that it's, necessarily that witty or elevated or whatever, but I mean, it must be resonating with some people, and it was enough to transcend the third-rate streaming service that it's on presently to end up uh, doing pretty well there at the awards. Yeah, and I mean, the weird part, too, with Apple Plus, it's also one of the, Apple TV Plus, it's one of the 
lowest uh, price points right now. It has some of the more bigger names just in entertainment. Obviously, sure. they had the they had Oprah, Spielberg, and Night Shyamalan show. Servant is on there. So there, they, and you know, Jason Momoa and C. Corral and Aniston. Yeah, there's a bunch of other sort of other things in the queue, and I think a lot of us, including me and you, and a lot of fans who are you know who love watching these sort of sports dramas and sports comedies, kind of laugh right at the thought that Ted Lasso, the the bit from you know about the NBC, NBC promoting the Premier League, would could be an actual show, right? And I'll note this: we kind of should have known better because one of the showrunners is is Bill Lawrence, and we already know. For those who do not know, we don't need to talk about all the shows he's worked on. But if you look at just the elite stuff, we're talking Spin City, Scrubs, and Cougar Town. So you have three elite level comedies, right, of the '90s and the 2000s already on his docket. And what I I like to say is like. It came out in the midpoint of the pandemic, and it feels like one of those TV shows that the pandemic helped a lot right. because of just sort of the portrayal of the bumbling American going overseas to try and teach heart and chemistry and just all these sort of things. And I think, like we, like I noted prior, I think a lot of us laughed at the entity of Apple Plus. It was kind of a goofy show, but apparently it resonated with almost everyone who watched it. Okay. And the biggest answer to the biggest critique that I've seen was was that how did we not know this sooner? How 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 is no one paying attention to such a quality show and such a star making turn for Sudeikis at this point? And it's it's kind of it marvels at the fact that Apple TV Plus poured all this money into their streaming service, put out big names, Oprah, Spielberg, and essentially the show that wins its first Golden Globe is Ted Lasso. Yes. Well, it's and that's crazy to think about. Well, yeah, and a uh, couple of NBC tie-ins to what you said there. First of all, if we're going to talk Bill Lawrence, I cannot do this without giving a shout out here uh, to uh, an, an extended member of the family, if you will, since one of our beloved FDH Lounge dignitaries is Bob Glassman. If we're going to talk any Bill Lawrence shows, we have to give a shout out to the late great Undateable. Uh, that his nephew Rick Glassman was on, and uh, yeah. what an awesome! And also, I mean, I think we also forgot too, Rick. You know, I, I, I forgot to mention this. Clone High was a was a former MTV VH1 show that had a lot of traction too. It was one of the elite animated comedies of the mid two thousands. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And and un uh, undateable. I don't know if that's on Peacock. I would assume that it probably is. But you got to think Peacock's got to be kicking themselves about Ted Lasso, right? I mean, if it was right, being done I, to to promote their own soccer product, and then it ends up on Apple TV Plus, you know, come on, man, what's wrong with this picture? <laughs> I know, and I, and this is again, like to to quote many reviewers, they're like, like, and I remember there was one writer, I believe it was for Variety, had said, "I initially pitched this review as this is going to be the worst TV show of all time." And then by episode four, I was crying in my, I was crying on my couch. Okay. So if there's a TV, if there's a TV show that, and the one thing that I always have learned, at least we, we already know Bill Lawrence's ties. Just one of the reasons why Scrubs was such a good show was was that, and a lot of his other ones, he would go from having very funny, laughable jokes, but also some very poignant moments in his sure. movies. And I think if you, I think especially with sports. We don't have a lot of those sports TV shows because we all, I know this too, like if you look at like the last 10 years of sports related TV shows in America, you only run into two other shows, which would be Playmakers by ESPN that went one full season. Right. And the Sin City Saints from the, from the Yahoo screen that also went one season. Right. So it's not often that a show like this actually kind of makes it. But it, it doesn't really surprise me because of the people involved with it. It's just sort of the storyline, especially during the pandemic, at a timeline where hope was not really high, a kind of a show where that shows caring and responsibility and treating people as people. I'm not really shocked that it, it became one of the bigger award-winning shows. Well, uh, not in terms of total awards, but an award-winning show for a service that definitely is going to tout this. I just find it hilarious because I also remember too during the 
I could be mistaken, but during the initial premiere, they actually had brought Sadakis out to like do the wave and meet and greet with mm-hmm. like during the Apple Plus presentation. And I think a lot of people were unsure about how to think of that. Okay. Because he was a big name back then, as you know, Rick, but he sure. wasn't really, you know, Ted Lasso was not really a thing that was being treated. I would I wouldn't say seriously by Apple Plus, but right. more in terms of the of that this was just a companion piece essentially. Right. To the network. And now it is arguably, I would say, outside of, you know, some of their upcoming stuff, the most important show on their streaming device. Okay. I say streaming the streaming platform. Yeah. And it is uh, one of the ones that I've seen, you know, a decent amount of ads for, whether it be on Hulu or other services where they do advertising. But, uh, yeah, uh, but again, uh, you expect Apple Plus to be uh, much bigger than it has been thus far, and uh, we'll, we'll see if there's any kind of a pathway for them to break out. Again, I, I think I'll note this too, Rick, because mm-hmm. I do want to make a touch on this with that said. Yeah. I think they have a lot of good stuff that's coming up in the pipeline. Mm-hmm. It's just, I think since it's not, since their back catalog is not as big as some of these other street sources, they're, they're, they're kind of treated as not as, they're, they're treated more in terms of you're looking for good quality new content with that. Right. And you're not looking for a distinctly big library. Essentially, this feels more like Apple Plus TV is going to kind of just be more like their, sort of like their version of HBO in a way, or Cinemax or Stars, right. where they'll have some top flight programming, but it's not meant to be your, you know, your right. main streaming service. Difference being, you don't have the movies to be able to pad out your, uh, you know, schedule the way that some yeah, of these yeah, networks. You know, that's what's happening with them too, because I still think Apple will start to, as more people and more stuff is going to get bought up. I do think Apple is going to try and outfit that service at some point too, because the Apple, as we know, Rick, the Apple ecosystem is huge. Yes, it is, and uh, God knows they definitely have the deep pockets behind them if they want to put it to use. And uh, I think based on the moves of uh, Paramount Plus and some of these other things here, I think the lesson is Apple Plus is going to have to uh, really, really, really start spending to get in the game because it's a very, very competitive situation, getting more competitive every day. And obviously, Ben, we knew that uh, the morphing of CBS All Access to Paramount Plus was going to be a big milestone in this thing here. It, it, It feels like it's sort of the culmination of this period here. We've seen Queeby come and go. We've seen the debut of Peacock, uh, you know, like I said, just a little bit over a year ago, HBO Max. This feels like just about the last of the bigger developments to kind of shake out right now. There will probably be a period of stability, and then I guess we'll see where it goes from there as far as future adjustments. Right, and I think, Rick, one of the things we didn't talk about, and we'll you will probably talk about another uh, thing is obviously the Sunday ticket stuff is going to be put under a microscope. Yes. In the NFL. Mm-hmm. And then the NBA also will have to consider some of their, their content to be put on HBO max and some of these other things. So again, it, it, it all, it all it, it, with streaming. It all in, ends with sports and it goes back to sports all over again. So, it does. It absolutely does. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, the NBA to be available on HBO max as far as the games on Turner, that makes perfect sense since that's already the case with the ABC and ESPN games. And uh, that's where, again, this kind of corporate synergy is just going to keep playing its way out. And as you say, the world of sports will be involved as well. But uh, always a pleasure breaking it down with you on any subject, my man. Uh, thank you for yet another great streaming conversation, Ben Chu. Well, I appreciate it. Hopefully this is the... Uh the uh, podcast with bigger boobs or something. <laughs> yes. Well, the podcast episode. Well, you know, it, uh, as we get towards the end of the pandemic here and I get into better shape, I'm just hoping to bring mine down, Ben Chu. We'll just leave it at that. So. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, thank you everybody for tuning in to FDH Lounge mini episode 1333.